0: Welcome to Mel and Sam's All The Success Stories podcast, where we celebrate and learn from the best in the writing business. For more interviews and writing advice, check out All The Success Stories magazine and our Tips for Writers series over at www.writerontheroad.com forward slash Success Stories. And remember, in all your writing endeavours, it's the journey that matters. Today I've got with me the beautiful Elizabeth Ellen Carter. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Mel. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, it's an absolute delight, everybody. I'm really excited. Uh, Elizabeth is an award winning, an award winning historical romance author, and I've called her novels with permission of Elizabeth. What a story. <laughs> this is the kind of novel that I grew up on, Elizabeth. So I'm so excited to be talking to you about it today. Oh, thank
1: you very much. I got into that because I got a, uh, a novel when I was 17 from a girlfriend of mine in high school, and it was the classic 1980s bodice rippers. But the 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 history in it, uh, it was set during the War of the Roses. It I can remember the name. It was Rose of Rapture by Jan, um, Brandywine, Rebecca Brandywine. and. It was a complete revelation and I thought one day I'm going to write a novel and if, if it makes people feel as good you know, as, as I felt reading this, so being swept away by the, by the passion, uh, by, by the history, by, by the, the really excellent universe creation, then, then I'd be
0: very satisfied indeed. Yeah, and I believe that um, Elizabeth's done that, everybody. Uh, You're known for, you now. I have to read this out because I just went, yes, these are my kind of novels. Love, blackmail, ill-gotten gains, treason and trickery. Oh, yes, yes. And that's on a good day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and and I'm going to go through all this at the moment because it's just so cool. Your newest book, and I don't know whether it's part of your uh, Heart of the Corsair series or it stands on its own, it's called The Wolf of Wharf Street, uh, The Pirates of Britannica. I just love it. Thank you. Um, I
1: have in... Uh, with the with the encouragement of my publisher Catherine LeBec, she has invited me to participate in this fabulous universe. So I have invented an ancestor from uh, from the Hardacre family, uh, Gabriel Hardacre, and um, and he and his brothers are um, are the heroes of this particular
0: adventure. Oh, that's, so! everybody, uh, the Heart of the Corsairs series, the um, hero, I guess, is a privateer, Captain Kit Hardacre, and they're set from 1810 to 1816 on the Barbary Coast. Now, yes. I'm particularly interested in that era, and I'm having a pirate obsession myself at the moment. Are <laughs> these, have they turned out to be really, really popular for you? They they have and again um, the
1: encouragement from from Catherine to uh, pursue that um, I was absolutely delighted with one review uh, where uh, the reviewer said this has to be turned into a series and 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 again it goes back to to what we were talking about earlier um, it, uh, so they they feel that they're at the centre of the action. Then, then, that's just brilliant. So, um, so that has also been a great discipline as an author as well. Because prior to, I've been working on a series of standalones. So, to um, commit to a series, and what's also interesting about the Heart of the Corsairs is the third book is a prequel to the first two. So, um, the end of Book Three, Shadow of the Corsairs, is the beginning of
0: the first book, Captive of the Corsairs, but told from a different character's point of view. Yeah. Now, I'm really particularly interested in this, everybody, so I'm going to use this podcast to further my own knowledge as usual, as I always do. Now, I'm really excited because I'm exploring the whole pirate thing, as I said. You are known for your research.
1: Yes. My husband jokes that it's five minutes of writing and 25 minutes worth of research Per half hour that's about right um, I've, I've got to and and it's interesting because I've be- become aware of that and it's how I approach lots of different things in life I've, I've got to almost like pull all the toys out of the the toy box first and examine what I, I have in in order to create effectively create a universe so yes it could be half an hour on um, looking at what the liquor licensing laws were <laughs> in in the early 1800s, or um, or checking the etymology of um, vagrant and vagrancy to make sure that is accurate. so it's it's little things like that. If I can't believe it um, as as a reader, I can't expect my readers to uh, to buy into that
0: as well. So I, I love doing the research. Yeah, and research is something we're going to explore more fully today, everybody, because this is a period of time that interests me. So if you're not interested in pirates and buccaneers, you you may as well go away now. Uh, <laughs> there's other stuff I want to talk about as well. But first of all, what's the difference between a, a privateer, a buccaneer, and a pirate? Right. Um, semantics, really. Um, a
1: privateer has um, a, um, a letter of remit from the government so, um, so they behave exactly in the same way as a as a pirate. In a way, they were used as um, um, a de facto navy. Uh, they were used to supplement the uh, the Royal Navy in in sort of particular uh, spheres. So, uh, um, so they were supposed to be doing it for the crown, and the crown took a great amount of taxes from from their plunder but uh, the privateers um plundered as well as any pirate
0: yeah wasn't um rhett butler wasn't he a privateer in gone yeah. with the wind
1: yes yes he was uh, because he was also um uh, running a black market operation too to uh to
0: um help um resource the south yeah. Now the Barbary Coast is notorious, notorious for pirates and all that kind of stuff. Now I've got another beautiful author, Pamela Grimm, who is also writing pirate stories, and her sea captain is a female. Uh, so the Barbary Coast, tell us about it and why we all know it. The uh the Barbary Coast, well, it's where we get
1: the uh the word barbarian from, and it actually refers to beards. Um, that uh the Barbary Coast is the coast of North Africa. Um, It was um, controlled by the Ottoman Empire for uh, quite a few hundred years, and they used the North African coast, um, Tunisia, uh, Libya, uh, Morocco, as a base of operations to raid Europe. And that continued for many, many centuries, and not a lot of people realized that um, the American Navy only came into existence because they—I um, think it was Thomas Jefferson—worked out that they were paying 10% of their GDP in tribute to the Barbary Coast pirates. So, um, rather than than paying for that, that money could go into the Navy and the um, the classic U.S. Marine songs from from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, um, relate to that in particular. And in the end, it was around 1830 where um, the pirates of the Barbary Coast were finally um, quelled, and, uh, and the French did that largely. And that's why we've got um, French speaking North Africa. And that was done to, uh, to finally end the slavery. Um, what is also interesting, too, is um, people don't realise that the Barbary Coast pirates raided as far north as Iceland. They, uh, they used um, an island just in the Bristol Channel called Lundy uh, as a base of operations, and that uh, they raided all across uh, Cornwall and Dorset and Ireland. Um, absolutely incredible, and that's the setting uh, the early uh, early 1600s is the setting for the DeWolf of Wolf Street.
0: Yeah. Now, there is so much written about pirates. There is so much research you can do. You can go right down the, I guess, the tunnel of research and not come out again. Uh, tell me about some of the colour that you can bring into those stories because it's so rich, isn't it? Um,
1: it it is, and and that's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed the Heart of the Corsairs series. Technically, it's a regency, but because it's um, set in Sicily in North Africa, there is a um, uh, an entire fresh perspective that you can bring to the genre. Um, you know, Sicilian culture is, uh, is, is so, so rich and, and so historic because it was a, yeah, a very important piece of land that was fought over by the Phoenicians, the ancient Greeks, the Romans, um, the Byzantine Empire, the Ottoman Empire, uh, all the way through. So it's a, yeah, a different culture that you're bringing to um, the very traditional um, English regency Uh, period as well so so that's a lot of fun
0: yeah now I love Georgetta Hayer, everyone we've had um, our beautiful Melinda Sarah Mallory Hammond on here who writes Regency Romances and we're going to have her on again and she's appeared on Escape to the Country which we can't get here in Australia but I'm going to keep trying Uh, but as you say there is there's a whole genre around that Regency Romance and you've made this part of it your own by by taking um, the Barbary Coast approach haven't you and that's it. And Georgette Hayer
1: was a little bit of an inspiration as well. Uh, her very first novel uh, was set during the, uh, the Elizabethan period. And and uh, to my embarrassment, I can't remember the uh, Beauvais, I, I think is the yeah, the name of that particular one. And that was a lot of fun. I had a, a lot of fun reading that. And um, uh yeah georgette Hayo from um, best known for a regency also dabbled in, in different time periods
0: as well yeah and that's something that i want to talk to you about because you have dabbled in different time periods i think i found one in um it was ten seventeen or something like that it was definitely the 11th century yeah i've gone as far back as uh, 235
1: ad the high point of the roman empire
0: uh, do you have a Favorite, um, I guess, a favorite period because once you start going across history. Now, I only teach high school history, so I've, I've heard of everything that you've mentioned, but I don't know anything about any of it in depth. Do you think you specialize, or do you think you'll keep jumping around and coming up with different things? Um,
1: I'll keep jumping around. Um, I've, I've stuck in the um, the Regency period uh, because, sort of, again, sort of quite right. I've got to be consistent in the in the time period. But I do plan to do a sequel to the Roman novel. Um, I'd like to go back to medieval um, England um, because there's uh, there's a yeah, a series that uh, that I I want to do set in the early 13th century, um, which again is a a blend of of romance and uh, and crime and murder mystery. So yeah. uh, I love the combination of the two.
0: Yeah, and this is real fodder for for the writer's brain and the ideas. And as you said, you've got your new series coming up. Do you find that your readers follow you? They do, uh, and I'm, I'm very blessed in in
1: that regard. Um, every new release, there's uh, an exploration of the back catalogue as well. So um, I'm I'm thrilled that uh, I've got a, a readership that that enjoys time hopping as much as I do.
0: I found a I found a, a lady in the Dimmix books shop yesterday and her name she wrote the Alice Network. Have you heard of that? No. No, Kate Kate, someone I've forgotten her name as well. And I picked up this book and my point is she wrote about World War One, then she wrote about World War Two, and then I went back and she had a whole back series of different time periods as well. And I'm wondering whether that's a bit of a trend now that we're now following authors, not like I want to read bodice rippers so I'll only read them across you know, across authors. You think we find good author and we keep it? I I hope I hope that's the case because
1: there's, um, I I think if you start with um, you enjoy history and if you know, if you get a consistent experience as a uh, reader from one particular author, I think I think they, I think people will follow you across uh, genres. Um, um, Philippa Gregory is another example of that. Of course, she's best known for her uh, uh, Tudor period, but she's also written in the yeah, the late 1700s as well. Uh, and also in the 20s and 30s, if I, I recall as well. So um, I think if there's that consistent voice and that consistent experience all the way through, yes, I, I do think readers will follow you. Yeah,
0: and I think once you build a world and uh, trust your author with the research, that you actually learn about a world. So your readers have trusted you to do the research, and does that come from your journalism background?
1: Yeah, yes, it does. Um, because and and also from that very first uh, bodice ripper run that I read. Um, it presented a different view of Richard III, and of course, sort of prior to that, well, you know, it, you know, evil, evil King Richard. Um, this particular author presented him in a more sympathetic light, and actually gave um, an, uh, an alternative villain to the uh, murders of the princes. And from that, it sort of, it was sort of okay. okay this is this is something that I can. Um, really see, so it's something that I've tried to bring into to all of my books.
0: Yeah. Now you talk about Dragon Blade pr- Publishing. Is that uh, Catherine Levesque or is that your own brand? No, that's Catherine Levesque. Ah, yeah, because I was a bit yes. confused there. I just assumed you were an indie publisher, but clearly not. No, I'm, I'm a hybrid. I got my yeah, back catalogue uh, back from
1: an, an earlier publisher. Um, every uh, there are a, a number of different uh, um, collaborations that are uh, self-published. Uh, my most recent self-published one is a sweet little novella uh, called uh, "The Promise of the Bells," and that came from a, uh, a concept of reimagining legendary characters in a Regency setting. So I chose the um, um, Dick Whittington and his cat. And, and that was a lot of
0: fun. Yeah. Um, now you can find out. You can find out about these everyone on um, Elizabeth's uh, website. It's got a little heading there called Blue Stocking Bills, and I didn't even know what that was about. <laughs> that um, bunch of authors, um, Australian,
1: um, New Zealand, the United States, um, all with a uh, passion for history. Um, and different time periods and we do at least one this year it'll be um two anthologies um the most recent one they've done was one set uh, set for Valentine's, so valentine's in bath and there's another one we've got planned for october yeah.
0: Now, something uh, that I, that frustrates me like anything. Now, I'm talking to you, you're clearly, clearly so good at your research, you build worlds, you do everything, yet romance novels and especially historical romance novels, bodice rippers, get written off as rubbish and yet if a man writes that he becomes a hero and he's a marine, he writes a mar- maritime history and he's fantastic. Are you finding that uh, your readership, like I think people like us automatically respect our romance alters because we know the work behind it. But you're finding as a wider research you're still being written off as a bodice ripper? Um, not that
1: anyone says to my face. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it comes from a misunderstanding of what romance is. And once I explain to people that, um, that romance has a very, very long history, the word it actually comes from Romans and it refers to the narrative structure. That narrative structure uh, we see in great epic adventures like Beowulf, um, like Ivanhoe, and um, where there's there's a hero's journey, um, and there's a a strong narrative arc. That evolved into um, chivalric romances. Again, Ivanhoe is a, a perfect example of that. Then, in more recent times, perhaps the late 1800s to the early 20th century, um, romance simply became a word to describe a, a love story. But once I explain that, no, the um, romance has a um, has a a wide and noble history. It's like the light goes on for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Now, I fought very long and hard for this, everybody. I work at all boys' schools and I constantly say, oh, that is so romantic and they go, oh, go away, miss, this has got nothing to do with romance. And I give them that spiel and I say romance has a grand tradition and I, and I make them go out and look it up and then we start to build out what romance is and they get a real surprise because in today's language it's about boys kissing girls, isn't it? That, that's it. But just about every John Wayne movie he
1: ever made has a romance in it Um, and and you can call those romances uh, because uh, it follows a hero's journey Um, and there is a a romantic romance arc in it Um, because for um, looking at it from purely the hero's point of view, he's got to have something to fight for. And and it's it's fighting for a principle, and it's also uh, fighting for the for the woman he loves. And gosh, if if we if, if we appreciated that um, at the difference that men and women bring to to relationships, I and within that that um, that pure romance way, I think we'd be a whole lot better off
0: yeah i and I agree with you and this is going to bring i want to bring in now uh you've you've been likened to Daphne de Maurier, and now she is not known i think she's only written one or two romances the other thing she wrote everything else she wrote were grand sweeping sagas weren't they 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 were um i'm sort of very honored to be compared with daphne de
1: maurier um i I like to broaden um the the romance i think the um, the love story arc is, is beautiful and necessary. Of course, it wouldn't be a romance without it. But to me, the acknowledgement of feelings only goes part of the way to the promise that romance brings, and that is the happily ever after. So I do like to, to bring the hero and heroine through some kind of trial that they have to um, work in partnership together as, as a couple. Um to be forged by fire to um, give that happily ever after a true authenticity um, you know feeling feelings are amorphous they they come and they go, but if you 've got stakes together and 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 work work in partnership together and and that is proven through the story, then to me that
0: justifies the happily ever after. Yeah, I always loved um, I think it is it Diana Broden, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce her name. Uh, she writes the most amazing heroines and heroes, and I just love her novels. Tell us about uh, the heroine that you put with uh, Kit Hardacre. Oh, she she's great.
1: She's great. She's uh, she's a bit of a blue stocking, uh, but she's a she's a realist there as well. Um, and, and it was something that, um, that a reader actually mentioned that, um, you know, um, Kit was a man with no, no past. Uh, Sophia Green was a woman with no future. And it was sort of this, this balance between the two that I'd instinctively written but hadn't articulated in that way. And that's always a, a pleasant surprise. Uh, Sophia is an archaeologist. Uh, she works with her, uh, with her uh, uncle. And it's it's there that um, she and Kit begin to to butt heads. They also butt heads because Sophia is is very protective of uh, her young cousin. Um, Kit thinks the cousin is a bit of a, a flake, and yeah, she is. Um, but but together, um, there's an appreciation, a recognition of their vun- relative vulnerabilities, and. Um, each of them have to take a risk in um, pursuing
0: that romantic relationship. Yeah, and they wouldn't be true romances if we didn't have settings of a grand scale. And I think that's what historical novels do best. We have, we have these amazing settings, we have these amazing stories and we have lots of beautiful ships. Oh, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> um, yes, uh, Kit has a, yeah, a schooner. Which is uh, one of the smaller ships um, because that's um, it gets him in, in and out of places. I've had great fun learning about seafaring, learning about how to uh, uh, short sail much larger ships, about fire ships. So uh, to be able to write an action scene where um, where Kit and his men. Um, set a boat on fire and, uh, and sail it at full, uh, full speed into a Harbor with lots of explosions. <laughs> uh, that was, that was terrific. And, uh, um, no, it is, it's great fun. I, I, I enjoy learning new things and, and going, well, what if, and that's often a jumping point for the research that I do and the, and the way the stories evolve.
0: Yeah. And I mean, let's face it, if you're going to act out a scene and you've got a uh, ship on fire going into a harbour, you can have all sorts of good fun with it, can't you? Now, I've got to ask this question, everybody, because as you are all aware, Elizabeth makes the most beautiful magazine compared to my poor old author success stories. Elizabeth, tell us about Love's Greatest Adventures. Um,
1: Love's Great Adventure, we picked the name because... That is essentially, to use a marketing term, my positioning statement. So anyone who, uh, if they want to know what an Elizabeth Ellen Carter novel is, it's it's Love's Great Adventure. So I attended a book signing and I saw the amazing swag that a lot of other authors had, and I thought I can't spend that much money on on that what can I do to be distinct Um, so I fell back on my journalism background and started the Love's Great Adventure magazine with my husband Duncan who uh, who is also a journalist we're journalists together and I I, we pick a a theme for the quarter and uh, invite sort of my author friends to all participate and um, I love your magazine it's it's Fabulous for uh, for authors. Love's great adventure is is purely for uh, for readers. So um, so I have a character interview, and, and they're always fun. Um, treat it like a, a Vogue or a Cosmopolitan magazine. So there's a historical fashion spread in thanks to the very very talented Victoria. Lane. Um, we have recipes, we have puzzles and games and interviews. It's
0: great fun. Yeah now I've subscribed to this magazine everybody uh, as soon as I saw it I thought oh I've got to play as well as soon as I read the character interview I thought that is such a cool idea <laughs> it
1: it is it gives you an opportunity to um it's a form of flash fiction in a, in a way you uh, um but what I really enjoy about uh those and um uh and I invite other authors to contribute as well is it really helps um, create three-dimensional characters because um, by doing an interview format, you're actually taking them off off script and it's interesting to see
0: what emerges. Yeah. Now, this is a a carry-on from Angela Ackerman's uh, One Stop for Authors or One Stop for Writers uh, character building thing where you start to delve a little bit more deeply into your character. So as soon as I read Interviewing a Character, that really reveals things that you wouldn't otherwise know, doesn't it? That's it um, and it's been it's been really really helpful the
1: um uh an interview that um I did with <laughs> with Keith um really helped flesh out the um uh the Christmas uh, anthology that I did with the uh the dragon blade um authors and it it really got into his psychology and and that's something that always appeals to me as well is... uh um exploring the the inner inner workings and and uh, deep motivations of characters, even yeah. the baddies
0: yeah, and you know what you have to know that and then you have to throw them into those rich settings and naturally your your whole thing comes alive doesn't it 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 does um because
1: um your characters have to be fundamentally transformed from um, from the beginning of the novel to to the end. Um, now that transformation um, can be an internal transformation where they realise something about themselves and and grow, or they become a a victim of circumstance, but they don't stay in that moment. Um, they find something of their their character and something of themselves that they can um, latch onto, and then they they grow as a person, becoming far stronger at the end than they are at
0: the beginning. Yeah. Would you say that your novels are character driven or plot driven?
1: Oh, I'm going to hedge my bets and say a bit of both, uh, because it's it's the um, they they both operate on on different levels and i i think you've got to you've got to have both the um the story driven is the is the is the why that um that your characters go through so i think it's got to be there just as strongly as your characters yeah
0: i've got to ask you you clearly have had a great um business career but just as clearly you've brought that professionalism into your writing business, haven't you? Your success hasn't happened in such a short period of time. Like I think you started your first novel was in 2012 or 2013, Moonstone Obsession. And yes. since that time, now we're only talking five or six years, you are actually um, really entrenched as one of our best um, historical romance authors, aren't you? Thank you very much.
1: Um, I, I decided <laughs> once uh, once uh, Moonstone Obsession was um, uh, shortlisted for the Emerald Award for the Romance Writers of Australia that year. It sort of, I thought, okay, I've I've got something and writing novels and and being a storyteller is something that I dabbled in loosely over many, many years. I thought, I want to be serious about this um, and I want to build a sustaining career over 10 years. So um, I'm halfway through that, that process and, um, and that um, bringing, bringing that focus. So there's a real dichotomy that um, novelists, that authors really have to, to work because there's the left brain, right brain conflict where you've got to let your mind be free and be creative, but there's a discipline there in the business that doesn't necessarily come naturally.
0: Yeah. And you as you said, you're halfway through. You're five years into your ten year mm-hmm. career plan or career launch, because that's how long it takes everybody, doesn't it? What's, it does. what's next for you after the beautiful I've got to ask the Wolf of Wolf Street? I've got to keep repeating that. It's such a <laughs> cool title. But
1: what comes next? There is books uh, two, three, and four in the King's Rogue series. Um, Catherine asked me to continue the hardacre uh name, so I thought mm-hmm um let's let's go go back and i created a a backstory his father um kit in the original series was an orphan so what happened to his father that became the focus of the short story father's day in the christmas anthology and now i'm building in um a full self-contained universe with the king's rogues Uh, It also has given me the opportunity to bring back a a character by the name of Lady Abigail Huffle, who was uh, the villain in uh, my first novel. I gave her her own romance arc because my husband became her strongest advocate. It's sort of, Abigail is great, you've got to tell her story. So, um, so, um, So I did in Moonstone Conspiracy. And now I'm bringing her back in the King's Rogue series. She's now uh, an older woman, um, but she hasn't lost any of her her spark and drive that makes her so interesting. I've had fun sort of evolving her character a little further uh, to take into account her maturity, but not take away um, the... Acerbicness that made her such a fun character to begin with.
0: Yeah. Now you said she was um, not a heroine; that she was a bad guy.
1: Oh, she was. She she was very very bad in the uh, in the first book. But there was a um, a character development moment where uh, she began to see that she couldn't actually continue living her life the way the way she had, that it was going to be a zero-sum game for her in the end. So um, the Moonstone conspiracy had her at her lowest point. And, and from there, she was, be, she was uh, able to see what her life could be and, and work towards uh, being the better part of herself
0: and that's fun yeah, and there's always redemption in all of us everybody we just got to dig deep enough to find it yep very true you, is it Jezebel became a Rahab <laughs> <laughs> is there any um any reason do you think that it's your pirate stories have extended into this whole world and realm over periods of time and why uh, Catherine Levesque keeps sending you in to write more um, I, I think I've found my feet with, with
1: that particular genre. Um, that it's romance and high adventure, and um, doing it in a series format has allowed me to um, create bigger and bolder worlds. And I've grown in confidence as
0: a writer. And because, like epics, are becoming more. Um, back in fashion if you like because they were back in fashion in the 80s and then they went out of fashion as chicklick took over these big bold stories are back in fashion aren't they 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 are
1: and it's lovely to see um, more historical um, stories uh, being turned into TV series and uh, and films as well so um, that that tells me that there's a, a real hunger for um, almost mythological adventure because uh, I these these stories have universal themes because they touch something deep in all of us as individuals, and and exploring that in various ways, I I think is fascinating. Yeah, and the Pirates of Penzance has an awful lot to answer for, oh, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Although I have to say, my favourite is Captain Blood, the yeah uh, the classic Errol Flynn film,
0: and oh, just just. Great stuff! Yeah, just fabulous. I think think there's a whole generation of us who grew up on this stuff, so we're all really excited that it's coming back into fashion, and we can all, um, you know, we can all get back into those rich, those rich historicals that we all love so much. I don't know why they took them out of fashion, to be perfectly honest. I I, and I think it is fashion. I think it um,
1: it um, it impacts on on larger larger cyclical things that are, are happening in the world at the time and I think we're coming back to, to um, exploring funda- psychological fundamentals again and that means exploring um, stories with great um, mythos because um, again sort of that, that is something that I think we all intrinsically recognize as, as human beings. Um, because it's a way of articulating um, the direction we need to to head in. Um, so, so we do need um, to understand what it is to uh, to be a hero. Um, because in our own small way, in our lives, we can we can show that little bit of heroism. And if if what I write also inspires people to go well these people have come through horrendous circumstances, but here they are triumphant in the end, then that provides hope.
0: And I don't think that's something that can be underestimated. Yeah, and especially in our world um, at the moment. Plus, I think that I was talking to my daughters about this um, yesterday. The business brain has run its course. The business brain has actually taken away all the romance of our lives. And it's seen where it's taken us. I think people are looking out again. They're looking out for... Uh, a big picture, as you said we 're looking for a narrative that we can um, i guess use as an uplifting way forward well well that that said,
1: all of the um, traditional sources of of mythos um, that that we that we experience you know um, largely in a uh, um, the biblical stories, the Judeo-Christian narrative um, has, has, has peter, petered out in terms of uh, appreciating um, what those grand stories were, were saying. So we've, I think, come up to a point in our culture where we're beginning to, to re-explore what that means and begin to connect our past to where we are now and, and consider what that means for the future.
0: Yeah, I love that. I've written down about three titles for this story, everyone, but I think re-exploring grand narratives is something that we've been talking about the whole time and why we're doing it. Uh, now, we're going to finish up now. You have gone through a period in your own life where reality smacks you in the face, um, just like I have. We come out, we turn back. There is hope for everyone as long as we trust in our creativity and imaginations, isn't there?
1: Um, yes. Yes, it is. Um, I think you've you've got to go through particular trials in in your life to know what you're capable of doing. Uh, you know, there's there's something to be said by being forged by fire. And if you if you consider that um, horrible periods in in your past are uh, a season, um, they're not they're not a permanent state of being. But if you just go through day by day just getting getting through that and and learning the the lessons along the way you end up finding your resilience you begin to find your um um a, a strength that you didn't know you you have and you end up coming out of the other side um much more centered much more grounded as a as a person and you know what you're capable of you're you're stretched beyond what you were prior to that, um, that, that is, I think, the only way to successfully look at
0: trying periods in your life. Yeah, and it's actually helped you to really focus on what you're passionate about. Now, how lucky are we that you have finally given yourself permission to write your novels and find your niche and explore those grand um, narratives? Because writing a novel takes time, doesn't it? It does. It does, although I've become a bit faster at it over the
1: past couple of years. I thought, oh, well, one novel and one short story a year that I, it's, I couldn't possibly do anymore. Now I'm committed to three full-length novels and three novellas this year. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's it's, 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 it's the alpha female. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> alpha female says, yes, I can do this. And husband goes, oh, my God, she's going to do this. <laughs>
1: Uh, I am so blessed to have a very, very supportive husband. Um, he's 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 brilliant, and, and what I what I love, oh, um, if I'm if I'm stuck in a plot pot uh, point, or I'm going, look, I'm thinking of doing this. Um, we'll actually workshop the ideas together. Um, so it's a it's a real partnership.
0: That, uh, that I have with my husband. Yeah, and I had a bit of a joke on, I think we were on Facebook, and I said, yep, my next husband is going to be an editor, a journalist <laughs> and a graphic designer and all that kind of stuff as well. He's just a husband made in heaven, isn't he?
1: He is. He is, and we clock up our silver wedding anniversary next month.
0: Uh, and congratulations as well everyone if you want to have a look at this pair and the work that they do don't forget to subscribe to the magazine it is absolutely beautiful and Sam and I are just ducking our heads and going oh my dear Uh, but your whole website is an absolute delight
1: thank you thank you very much
0: yeah and where can we all find you
1: you can find me on uh, uh, my website, eecarter.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, Elizabeth Ellen Carter. I also pop up on Twitter every now and again as e. E. Carter author.
0: Yeah, and remember, Daphne de Maurier, eat your heart out. Here comes Ellen Carter. I'm <laughs> sure, Elizabeth Ellen Carter, I'm sure we're going to have you back on again and we're going to just keep seeing your name all over the place because we all want those grand narratives. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a delight chatting with you.